0: Well, welcome, everybody, to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Gary Schneeberger, your co-host and the communications director for Crucible Leadership. And you've come in to listen to a podcast that is all about looking at those painful moments in life, those trying moments in life, those difficult moments in life, the things that can stop you in your tracks feel like it stops your heart. They can be crushing, they can be shattering, they can be failures, and they can be tragedies. And we talk about those not to deal in the negative. We talk about those as jumping off points to lead a life of significance, to come not just bounce back, but to bounce forward from those experiences. And with us to talk about that is the founder of Crucible Leadership and the host of the program, Warwick Fairfax. Warwick, welcome.
1: Thanks, Gary. Great to be here.
0: This idea of crucible moments is so fascinating. One of the things I want to tell folks about here, Warwick, is you commissioned a study, a poll of folks to find out just how many people out there, how many business professionals actually is who we surveyed, how many business professionals, what percentage have experienced an event, very traumatic. It was uh, unforgettable. It was painful. And it kind of slowed them down and made them kind of stop and pause and take a deep breath. And the number of folks who said they had had that experience was what?
1: 49%.
0: 49%. And it's really interesting. I did some research. You hear 49% and you think, well, that's not even 50%. You know, it's not even half. But Here's an example of other things when I googled 49% of Americans blank 49% of Americans. I'm consulting my notes 49% of Americans say they are pro football fans. Okay? 49% of Americans say that they typically take an annual summer vacation 49% of Americans say that our culture American culture is superior to other cultures Those are huge majorities when you think about it just anecdotally. When you say, as many people as our football fans have had a crucible moment, that's pretty significant, isn't it? Absolutely. When we talk about crucible moments, we'll unpack here in a bit exactly what they look like, what kinds of crucible moments people go through. But explain to folks who might not be familiar with the word that much, why did you, as you were looking for something to describe those painful experiences that can change your life for the worse or the better, why did you choose a crucible as the symbol of that?
1: Well, you know, literally, crucible means cauldron in which you heat metals to a very high temperature and they combine to form something new. It's also in the literature uh, seen as a test or a trial. One of the references that I talk about and write about is Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible, that was written in the late 40s. And it was on the surface about the Salem Witch Trial in Salem, Massachusetts in the 1600s where a group of young girls would accuse townspeople of being witches, which back then, if you were a witch, they right. basically killed you. And it was this weird thing that if you admitted you were a witch, they would kill you. If they didn't admit you were a witch, you weren't being honest, and they'd probably kill you anyway. So right. it was sort of a no-win situation. <laughs> so it's right. like, well, are you going to just you know fight it, show integrity? And behind the scenes, what Arthur Miller was referring to was the McCarthy... Senate trials, if you will, of the late 40s, early 50s, where a number of folks, including ones in Hollywood, were accused of being communist and in the league with the Soviet Union, and some may well have been, but some were not. And so just being accused was almost the same as, as being one. So it was really overdone. It was, in hindsight, a bit of a black mark in our history. So, you know, crucible is a testing time. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of image of this cauldron that you're in it's something that tests your metal it tests your character so that image of pain or just a furnace at immense heat it just sort of really rang true to me in terms of my own right. life and experience
0: and you said something extremely interesting in talking about Arthur Miller's play you said the folks accused of being witches felt like it was a no-win situation. That can be right. true, right? Mm-hmm. The moment that a crucible experience that an individual goes through hits you, it can feel like a no-win situation, can't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, crucibles can take many forms. It could be a business failure, uh, such as mine, you know, growing up in a large family media business, which, you know, talked a bit about the previous podcast. It could be getting fired, maybe getting passed up for the job that you wanted. It could be... Uh, Marriage failure, health challenge, substance abuse, you know, abuse in general. It can be many different forms. It can be your fault, not your fault. But either way, it's the searing experience in which who you are after that crucible experience is not the same. You're forever changed. And so sometimes, I mean, very often when it happens, always when it happens, you wish that it hadn't happened, whether it was your fault or Mm -hmm. not. But you have really a choice to make which is you may not be able to control the outcome or even how you feel at least initially but what are you going to do about that experience are you going to try and learn from it accept the things you can't change try and use it for good in some ways that's really the test it's not so much what are you going to do about it it's more how you're going to deal with the consequences are you going to let it derail your life or not that's really the test it's more right. of a test Within of yourself than anything else.
0: And the place you have to come to, as you had to come to, as you talked about your own story in a previous podcast and have talked about it a lot, you have to come to that place where you decide it's not a no-win situation. You're an example of it can be a win situation. How does one go about, you've had the crucible moment and it seems to me like there's a choice. You have to decide whether you're going to try to move forward or just kind of sit back and tend your wounds. What's that first step that you need to take in making that choice?
1: I think part of it is acceptance. It doesn't Mm. mean, mean, let's just take an extreme case in which let's say somebody is abused. It could be as a child, as a spouse. You know, you've done nothing wrong. It's horrendous, it's awful, it's unfair, it's unjust. So it doesn't mean that accepting doesn't mean you accept the horrific acts right. that were done to you. That's not the acceptance I'm talking about. It's for it's happened. You can't change it. You might have sought legal remedies. The police might have, you know, might be stepping in. All of those things should happen, need to happen. But within yourself, can you say, well, this was awful, and I've got to accept that it has happened, It has changed me forever, in some cases not for the good, but how am I going to try to move on in light of that? Part of Mm -hmm. it is, and again, sometimes extreme examples help make a point, sometimes one of the first steps can be forgiveness. This was a good step. Well, how can you forgive the unforgivable? Doesn't forgiving condone the action? And I would say no. I mean, typically when somebody does something to you, it's sad, but they often could care less. They're mm-hmm. not bothered by it. They just move on with their lives. I mean, it's galling right. to think that that's possible. That's tends to be the typical scenario. But for you, it's not that forgiveness is about condoning them. It's not condoning them. It's more forgiveness lets you move on. Forgiveness is more or as much for yourself. It's your worth, forgiveness. Even right. though you're forgiving the other person, it sounds counterintuitive, but... Often that's the first step. In my case, with the whole family business situation, I wasn't so much on forgiving other people. It's not that there weren't other people that did things, like to my father, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, through out as chairman in 1976 when I was 15. Yes, I could look at people and say, well, there were things that other people did that certainly played some of the groundwork, but it was largely my fault. So my focus wasn't so much, oh, I need to forgive them. It was more, you know, in a sense, I need to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. It was really more stupidity, naivety. It's not that I deliberately Mm -hmm. tried to do anything wrong. I really didn't. I didn't try to hurt anybody. So it was more just accepting what happened, forgiving myself. I'm not this awful person that is not worthy of seeing the light of day ever again. Just hide in my house and let the rest of my life go by. So part of it is acceptance, forgiveness, whether it's of other people, yourself. That acceptance of forgiveness is, is really, from my perspective, the first step.
0: And it's interesting to hear you talk about that because I know when you've told your story. And again, it's contained on uh, the first episode of the podcast. And the broad brushstrokes of your story, you're an heir to the hundred and fifty-year-old family media dynasty in Los in Los Angeles, in Australia, and you launch a takeover to bring the company back under family control, and while some things went right, there was a lot of debt. and at the end of three years in the late 80s, the company passed out of family control, and that was a loss of 2.25 billion in Australian dollars. Big failure situation, and not the kinds of circumstances that many people who you're talking to as the founder of Crucible Leadership have been through. As you've said many times, there's not a lot of media moguls out there who are in that situation. But one of the things that's so fascinating is you tell your story. People will come up to you. They'll send you emails. They'll come up to you when you're speaking, and they'll say how much your story touched them. And it is. They are talking to you about it. In some cases, it seems like it's the first time they've ever acknowledged their failure or their shame How does that ability to speak your truth, to speak your pain, how does that unlock healing for others?
1: You know, it's interesting, as we've been talking to people, it's interesting that people tend not to like talking about failure. It's one thing if you've had a car accident and it just changed your mobility or certain things, they're clearly not your fault. And so... I don't know if it's easier to talk about. It seems like it. It's hard for me to, to know if it's something that's not my experience. But when it's business failure, you know, business leaders tend to want to present the uh, aura of just being successful. Right. People write mm-hmm. books, you know, follow me because I live this Fortune 500 <laughs> company. How right. many people write books that say, I was an idiot, I was fired, and you know what? I should have been fired because I was doing a, a rotten job and I was treating people badly and... Congratulations to the board. They did the right thing. Didn't think so at the time, but good on them, you know.
0: Well, I know one person who's written a book close to that, and that's you, who's who's written about, um, you know, you have a book in process, a manuscript about your experience. So you're one.
1: Well, yeah. And so to me, you know, I think vulnerability is something that can help people. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know what helps for me, and I think it's true really for everybody, is Where is your sense of Mm self-worth? So, you know, we've talked about acceptance, forgiveness. Really another important touchstone, if you will, of being able to move forward is, is your self-worth in your career? If it is, you're set up to fail. You're almost guaranteed to fail because there will always be ups and downs. You will never quite get that job you really wanted. Or there's always somebody else. It's like an athlete. There's always somebody else better, quicker, faster. I mean, 99.9% of the cases, you will not be the best baseball player, the best tennis player that's ever lived in human history. Right. (laughs) It's possible, but it's really, really unlikely. And even when you think you are, you know, um, like I follow tennis quite a bit. And a Roger Federer fan, he has... I think he has 20 Grand Slam titles, it's quite possible that Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic will overtake him for the most Grand Slams. Right. Uh, as a Federer fan, I'd rather not, but that's okay. life. He's going to have to live with it. And if they right. overtake him, objectively, they might be the greatest of all time. So, you know, it's like, it's sort of ephemeral to try to seek your sense of self-worth in your career. So for me... Obviously, it's hard for me to do that in the sense that, look how uh, sort of the whole takeover went down in flames. So it's not like I can say, look at me, look, put, let me put my self-worth and what I've achieved. At right. least not there. But I have, to me, faith, faith in God and the sense that we're all children of God and God loves us unconditionally, that helps because... By talking about failure doesn't mean I'm a failure as a human being or that God loves me any less or frankly my wife and kids don't love me any less. Their love and love in a broader sense doesn't depend on my achievements. That's another foundation of bouncing back and it helps in talking about failure and really to your point so few people talk about failure that I remember one instance I was speaking on Skydeck which is a Harvard Business School alumni podcast where I did my MBA. And I think one of the folks as you were trying to set this up was asking, Well, is is Warwick okay talking about <laughs> failure? I said, Well. Right. It's like that's the whole message. You right. know, that's the whole point. But I had a number of people email me and just message me saying that was so helpful, you know, the company I'm with is about to go under and I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow morning and you know, I'm gonna feel like embarrassed and ashamed and uh, right, it, it just hopefully gives other people the freedom to say it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to fail, it doesn't mean life's over or your whole sense of self-worth should be bound up in what you do.
0: Right. And one of the things we never really talked about this but hearing you talk now it makes me think of this and that is one of the things that you're trying to do that we're trying to do through Beyond the Crucible, through everything the Crucible leadership does is to encourage people to do those very things, to have humility, to have vulnerability, to change the dynamic where it is okay, people are comfortable talking about crucibles, about failures, about tragedy and trauma. As someone who has done that, because one of the things we want listeners to do is to feel empowered and encouraged and to have the boldness to talk about their crucibles. As someone who's done that now for several years, how does that feel? When you get an email like that guy from Skydeck how does that feel when somebody says, oh my gosh, thank you, that helps me in my own healing?
1: You know, it feels healing, but it really, it helps me think, maybe there's a purpose to the pain. Mm. Maybe there's a reason. As somebody is a spiritual person, I tend to feel like everything happens for a reason. There's some maybe plan in place, I may not know what it is, but it feels like, okay, I didn't like the pain, but it makes it a bit easier to deal with, maybe a lot easier to deal with, feeling like, you know, by talking about my pain, I'm able to help other people. And one of the things I've found is as I've spoken about it, you know, people don't look at me and say, oh, my God, I never want to see you again because I'm embarrassed <laughs> to be around such an enormous right. failure. And please, you know, it's almost like in the Bible with lepers, you know, unclean, unclean, stay right. away. You right, know,
0: right, right, right. it's like.
1: No, I mean, as as I mentioned, I think last time, I guess one of the key moments in my sense that maybe everybody wasn't going to reject me when I spoke about it is the talk in uh, church we go to about uh, 10 years ago when the pastor wanted me to give a sermon illustration of the life of David who was falsely persecuted, running away in fear of his life and said, well, I don't really see myself as that person, but I'm happy to talk about my story and a few lessons learned. And people weeks, months afterwards said, boy, that really helped me. Nobody said, well, what a loser. Right. I mean, not right. one. It was, right. and then I've done a number of podcasts with some other folks. And, you know, it's sort of baby steps. As you talk about it and don't feel rejected, it's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe people don't see me as a loser, as a $2.25 billion failure, so to speak. You know, another baby step was, um, you know, for years, I wouldn't go to Harvard Business School alumni reunions because I was ashamed and embarrassed. All these other people are successful and, you know, CEOs and uh, heads of something. And here I am a failure. And so, you know, I went there and, you know, it came up in conversation from time to time and it didn't seem to matter. You know, and then I went to a Oxford reunion where I did my undergrad and, people a little bit maybe less in tune, but, you know, it didn't seem to matter when I started sticking my toe in the outside world, but it sort of took years for me to think that I had purpose in life, that, you know, I wouldn't be seen as some broken, hopeless case to be pitied. Right. I mean, nobody wants to be pitied, you know? And in fact... In talking
0: about it, not only do you not feel rejected or marginalized, but you have experienced the feeling of that you're actually helping people. And that is the ultimate goal of crucible leadership, right, is to lead a life of significance. And helping others is a key point to that significance. I want to bring up something that you just said because I think I want our listeners to process this for their own story. When you said, as you began to speak about your crucible You had this thought that maybe people don't see me as a loser. There are people listening right now, Warwick, who feel like people see them as a loser, who are shy about, ashamed about, afraid to talk about both failures. But in cases of abuse and in cases of truly Mm -hmm. traumatic things that happen to you, it's hard to get those words out as well. What is your encouragement to those folks from someone who's done it, someone who's spoken about his crucible and others have been helped?
1: Well, this might sound a bit strange to say, but again, my faith is the foundation of my outlook in life. And to me, you are not a loser. You know, God loves you. I mean, that's the foundation. That's the center. But beyond that, I think not all of us, but I think hopefully many, if not most of us, there are people in our lives that deeply care for us. Maybe it's our parents, a brother, a sister, a spouse, somebody. Now, there might be a few really incredibly unfortunate people that don't have one soul on the planet that they think actually cares for them, you know? Right. But in many cases, there are some that kind of want to help us, that believe in us, even when we don't believe in ourselves. So this sense of, this eternal sense that somebody loves you, perhaps, this sense that you have family members, friends that kind of love and care for you, if they all feel that you're worth something, Mm -hmm. maybe you are. And so... It's not easy just to turn the switch on and hey, today I'm gonna to believe in myself. It's a process, right. but it's a push and pull, it's a dynamic. As you other people believe in you, that helps. As you help other people, in some sense, not that that's the reason for doing it, it helps heal, it helps your self-worth. It is, I talk about refining cycle, it is almost in terms of your own self-esteem, there's a cycle there too, as you believe the people who are saying you're worth something as you help other people, and as you accept the fact that what happened, not that you have to like it, and as you see your self-worth isn't dependent on what you do. All of those are important cogs in the wheel to help you feel less like a loser. And realistically, certainly in my case, it took years. And can you ever say, nope, there's no scar. I had that fall, had stitches, no scar. No, there's always gonna be a scar. But, you know, it does get easier to live with. Are there days when you have, like, a little relapse and, like, oh, wow, I'm feeling bad about myself and gee, yep. what an idiot I Perfectly was. Perfectly normal, yep. But the trajectory of your life, it's, it's almost like you look at the economy. Is the trajectory of the economy going up or down? Is the trajectory of your self-esteem and your life as a whole is it going up or down? So all of those things, I think, are factors that can lead to healing and ultimately a life of significance.
0: You will talk as we go on in other episodes of this podcast, both in our discussions and in discussions with guests who've been through crucible moments and who want to talk about them. We'll talk about what the specific aspects of that thing that you mentioned, the refining cycle, what happens after you come to the place that you are examining and learning from your crucible. We'll talk about those in future episodes, so I don't want to talk too much about them now. We'll, we'll leave a little out there for people to come back for. But the first step, right, Let's leave folks with a, say they're listening right now, they've had a crucible, they're feeling ashamed, they're not sure what to talk about, how to talk about it. They feel like maybe they want to stay in bed with their head under the pillow sometimes, but they also know, they hear your story, they say, wow, I can lead a better life even than I had before the crucible. What's the first thing they need to do right now as they're listening? The first step, whether it's an actual action step or it's just an emotional mindset step, what's the first thing people can do to begin to put their foot on that path to a life of significance?
1: I guess in my experience, in my case, I'd say you are loved because of who you are, not what you do or not what you have done. Those that love you, God, as some eternal perspective, it doesn't depend on what you've done or what has been done to you. You are no less beautiful in a sense, in a spiritual, eternal sense, than before what happened, whether it's a business failure, a marriage breakup, abuse, uh, whatever it is, just that sense that you are loved and that you matter. It's a hard thing, I realize. It's not just a matter of saying it, but for me, maybe it's through prayer, maybe it's through meditation, whatever your particular point of view, but just maybe it's a decision of the will, combination of the above, but just that first step of beginning to believe that you were that you were loved and you were worth something
0: and the first step does not have to be a long step doesn't have to be an enormous stride it can simply be that first step of orienting your mind we're going to land the plane as i like to say on that one so thanks again for sharing aspects of your story with folks and listeners thank you for spending time with us thank you for listening to this and one of the things that we want to do at Beyond the Crucible is to create a dialogue. One of the things that Warwick, that leads him to talk is he likes to hear back from people about what impact that has about their stories. So if you want to share some of your stories with us, if you want to share your reaction to some of the things we've talked about, you can go to our website, crucibleleadership.com, and you can click on the contact tab and you can send your feedback and information. We'd, we would love to hear from you about what you think we're doing at crucibleleadership.com you can sign up to receive Warwick's blogs he writes a couple of blogs a month that work in this area of the things that we've been talking about. Stories of people who have overcome crucibles and are living a life of significance. They're in the refining cycle and they're getting better every day, quote unquote, better in terms of processing their crucible moments. Sign up for those. There'll be stories of other people who have lived out uh, crucible moments and examples, more detail on how you can go through and work that refining cycle and find that life of significance. You can also engage with us on social media, on Facebook, you can look for us at Crucible Leadership and on LinkedIn, you can look at us for Warwick's name at Warwick Fairfax with the silent W in the middle, W-A-R-W-I-C-K at Warwick Fairfax on LinkedIn. So until next time, remember, a Crucible experience is not the end of your story warwick's living proof of that we'll have other people who are living proof of that far from being the end of your story it's the start of a new chapter of your story that can be the most rewarding of your life because where that story leads is to a life of significance say goodbye